Welcome to the Movie Planet Season 5, Episode 3. This week we're talking about 2005's The Exorcism of Emily Rose. With Joe. I am currently a professor of anthropology and psychiatry at Northwestern University. And Sam. I have advanced degrees in medicine, psychiatry, and neurology from Johns Hopkins, and I have had three books and several dozen papers published in the fields of neurology and neuropsychiatry. I'm your host, Joe, and with me is the Ethan Thomas to my Aaron Bruner, Sam. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting movie. It is. It's an yes, interesting movie. It is uh, w- way different than I thought it would be, especially now that I'm thinking about it. When this movie came out um, in high school, there was, you know, the general horror flick that was coming out was scare, 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 jump scare, jump scare, scare jump scare. Right. Um, and then it's, it's kind of progressed into, like, psychological and jump scare. This is not that at all. Nope. This is completely in its own ballpark. Yes, I haven't seen which a movie is bizarre. I have never seen a movie like this that's a horror film. Yeah. Uh anyway, the movie Oh, sorry, I was thinking Devil's Advocate maybe, but it's not r- there are certain points that are scary as hell, but it's not r- really a horror film. No. No, I, I guess that would be science fiction or science fantasy or space fantasy. That would be drama thriller. Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Those demons are Freaky, though. Um, uh, well, this week, I have nominated 2005's The Exorcism of Emily Rose. That's what we're talking about for the pantheon of uh, horror movies. The horror movie pantheon is comprised of seven and only seven films. Uh, currently, the seven films with their average grades are number one, The Exorcist, number two, Jaws, number three, It Chapter One, number four, The Cabin in the Woods, number five, Evil Dead, number six, The Fly, and number seven, 1982's Poltergeist, hanging on there, just Gripping the gripping the edge of it, <laughs> please stay. Uh, I'm, each I'm, other by the fingers. I'm rooting it on because it's one of my faves. Uh, but now, the higher the grade we give it, the longer it may be staying there. Only a film with a higher grade can kick it out on its ass from the pantheon in the future. So we will discuss the movie, and in an hour or so, we will analyze it and grade it, and figure out if we need to boot a movie out. This is a spoiler-rich podcast. So if you haven't seen The Exorcism of Emily Rose, blah 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 blah, blah. The Exorcism of Emily Rose. The Human Torch was denied a bank loan. Unique? It's best if New you York. stop right here, Unique? watch the movie, and then turn us back on to enjoy our discussion and analysis. But now that we've handled that business, let's get to our movie of the week. Okay, this week we are talking about 2005's The Exorcism of Emily Rose, a rated R movie directed by Scott Derrickson. The movie was made for $19.3 million and brought in $144.2 million worldwide. Not a whole lot. Uh, it opened at number one at the box office, dethroning the 40-year-old virgin with a $30 million weekend box office. So it made 30 mil the first week and then just kind of petered off, it looks like. Yeah. But I'll say this. The trailer itself sells you. Uh, it sold me not to go see it because it freaked <laughs> me out. Uh, this is starring Laura Linney as Aaron Bruner, Tom Wilkinson as Father Richard Moore, Campbell Scott as Ethan Thomas, Jennifer Carpenter as Emily Rose. Mwah. Colm Fior as Carl Gunderson, Joshua Close as Jason, Kenneth Welsh as Dr. Muller, Duncan Frazier as Dr. Cartwright, J.R. Bourne as Ray, Mary Beth Hurt as Judge, I'm Asleep at the Wheel, Brewster, and Henry Cerny as Dr. Briggs, and Shora Agdashlu, I got it right, 
as the smoky-voiced Dr. Sadira Andani. The most seductive spiritual doctor. Is... I don't know what sh- what it is about her, but something... So her voice is like Eartha Kitts. It's real attractive. You should watch videos. like You, t- you know how they have like the old Colin... Not Colin. Who was the old Late, late Night Hills? The British Scottish guy. Co- uh, Colin... Ferguson? I think... I think so. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Well, he's got videos of him flirting with all of his guests. <laughs> and they are hysterical. <laughs> but there's one where he's flirting with her. And he's like, can you just read me something for like five minutes? Just just read. Yeah, I'll just sit back and enjoy my coffee. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, well, according to the good people at Rotten Tomatoes, it has a tomato meter reading of 44%, 69 fresh reviews, 87 rotten. Uh, the critics, on average, gave this film a 5.5 out of 10. Uh, and uh, the audience score, which is the n- average rating the audience gave this film, is a 3.2 out of 5, with 60% agreeing it's a 3 or higher. But let's get into the making of this movie. You're looking it up right now, aren't you? <laughs> yes. Uh, let's get into the making of this movie. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies. I make films. I love that final one. By the way, what is that first little snippet from? Entourage. That's from Entourage? And so is the second one. Or the third one. The third one's from Entourage also. Huh. If if I'm looking for movie-making stuff, I'm going to Entourage. That whole thing is about making movies. It's one of my favorite shows also. I love Uh, watching four douchebags all across Hollywood. I really need to start that. I watched. I chose to do Californication instead, which is really good. I loved it until the last two seasons. And yeah, then I re- completely regretted it. Uh, I will say this: one of the best uses of uh, "you can't always get what you want" true <laughs> by that. the Stones. True, true <laughs> that. Based on the true story of Annalise Mikkel, a young German woman who suffered a similar fate to the fictional Emily Rose in the 1970s, and the exorcism of Annalise Mikkel an account of the subsequent court case by expert witness Felicitas D. Goodman. Oh, wait, you're telling me this wasn't a good old American family? Uh, no. An anthropologist called in as an expert on possession. Mikkel's parents and the two priests who performed her exorcism were prosecuted, though the prosecution asked that the parents be excused from punishment as they had, quote, suffered enough. Ultimately, the accused were found guilty of manslaughter resulting from negligence, and the two clergymen were sentenced to six months in jail, which was later suspended. And three years of probation. The most significant differences are that Mikkel periodically fasted for several months as part of her exorcism and remained on medication until her death. While the fictional Rose was incapable of eating due to demonic forces and decided herself to stop taking her medication with the consent of her care providers, the story was heavily adapted for cinematic purposes. I can understand. You can't really do full length of time there. But there's a big plot point in this, which is the Gambuta role. Yeah. Uh, and that's really the linchpin of the science versus religion aspect here. Yep. Uh, the filmmakers say they weren't interested in making just another horror movie. They want to make a smart movie about whether demonic possession really exists. With that in mind, I think they succeeded. I don't. Okay. Well, we can go into it. Now? If you want to, yeah. Okay. A smart um, movie about whether it really exists. Now, that's not to say it answers it, but just whether it does. So, what were your thoughts on that? Um, so, I feel as this, I feel like the foundation for that 
narrative is there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's a very smart movie about it. And I also feel like they made the science guys. It wasn't balanced. Like, I felt the science guys were just the biggest assholes in the world. Just out to get the priest, which I get. But there were times when the science lawyer would just step way out of bounds. Like, yeah, he went over. He, 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 he does a lot of out-of-character stuff. Yeah, a lot of out-of-character stuff. Because at the beginning, he's told he's a God-fearing man, he's a Christian, he goes to school, he, 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 but he's also a mean man when it comes mean, across. wrathful. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I get, but... Uh, yeah, he just crossed the line, and he it, they made it very Hollywood-esque. Yes. They, which, you know, you have to for a film. But if you're going to do a smart movie about whether de- demonic possession really exists or not. You know, you got the medicine, you got the symptoms, it's great. But for how long is this movie? Two hours, approximately. That's all they can do is, was it the drug, or was it demon? Well, they were, just, they were literally arguing about the same exact shit for the entire film. They, they argued about the gambuterol. They argued about epilepsy, psycho- psychotic psychosis. epileptic uh, syndrome, which was a made-up term, uh, and she calls it out. She's like, you, this, is, this is just your thing. You made yeah. it up. That's cute. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, they, and I love how in the middle of it they say, Aaron Bruner, Laura Linney, says, we need to bring in our own experts because right now all we're doing is shooting on the science stuff, and we, we got to bring in some spiritual people. And once they do that, then it becomes the, the the balance starts to shift a little bit. But they only bring in smoky voice Sidera. Yes. And they also just point out third world country um events that can't really be factually given. Yes. Um and they just they literally harp on this for the entire movie. Um and I really didn't like that the lawyer kind of came under attack. Which what do you mean? So, like, in her room at the witching hour, she oh, yeah, up, yeah, the door open, or seeing things. But were they really there? Or was it just in her head? True. I mean, that's the thing. It, nothing's definite in this. And what, why I think, and from my side, when I see it's a smart movie about whether it exists, it means they show you the event, they narrate from one perspective the event over it, and then... They argue about it and let the viewer decide which one do you believe. And in doing so, everybody goes back down to their basal beliefs. Is it science? Is it religion? I believe this side. I believe this side. And that's the smart part that I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, There were two dolls constructed for this film. The first was where Emily Rose would lock her limbs. The other was during the dorm scene where she is on the floor in a twisted position. That is probably one of the scariest things. Gets better. The director ultimately never used a doll in the dorm no! room scene because he found out that Jennifer Carpenter is incredibly flexible and decided that the position she was able to contort herself into were more unsettling than what could be accomplished with the dummy. No! When Emily starts to bend over backwards in the church, Carpenter wore a harness to make the effect more inhuman. Boom! Oh, no, Deb! <laughs> Debbie, baby, no! This is Jennifer Carpenter's. 
best acting role, I Ever. think. Ever. Yeah, I mean, she was great in Dexter. She's great. She's, I love Deb. Yeah. I love her so much. But damn, you outdid yourself for this film. I haven't seen her in a film since, and I know she was in White Chicks, but nobody saw that. Uh, she was. Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> there, and, and there's a really funny video where they split, they like alternate ending to Emily Rose, and it was them turning on the tape recorder in the courtroom, and it's her giving her, you know, look at my fat, my tummy, you know? And it's going on, and they're all just kind of exchanging looks like, oh, my gosh. Oh, this is horrifying. <laughs> but uh, I, I have said this before about uh, Reagan from The Exorcist, Linda Blair. Jennifer Carpenter, Carpenter, Linda Blair herself with this. Because she, this performance is so good, you can't see her as anything but contorting her face and limbs and doing this now. And anything that anytime that I've seen her, I'm like, I just want to see her do more of that crap. That's such a shame. Yeah. It was it's such a good performance. It's a stand-up you, performance. You can pigeonhole yourself so easily. Exactly. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw this? What were your initial feelings after seeing it? Um, yes, I watched it last night. Impressive. Yeah. Um, I thought this was a very unique and different take on an exorcism movie, and I I enjoyed it. This messed me up a bit. Really? It really did. It was one of those movies I watched, and then I didn't sleep that night. Oh. Because, you know, there's weird stuff happening. My imagination goes crazy. See, that stuff happens with, like, paranormal activity with me. Uh, Time for a summary. What is your summary of the film in ten words or less? Sam. Law and Order. The movie. Religion versus science. Bum, bum. <laughs> so, just so you know, this is the second take. We had He had the Law and Order sound. It didn't come out. You're going with bum bum. <laughs> the bum bum. <laughs> Let's go get some bad guys. Uh, mine is a state and church are separated for a reason. Different perspectives. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten exactly. I feel good. Damn it. I got nine. Nine. <laughs> bum no, bum. No, no, ten with the law and order, the movie. Oh, okay. Ten. Woo! On to a synopsis of this movie, courtesy of the good people at IMDb. That girl was not schizophrenic, and she was not epileptic or any combination of the two. I've seen hundreds of people with those problems. They can be terrible afflictions, of course, but they don't scare me. But what you saw that night in Emily, that did scare you. God, if I'd known, I never would have been there. I started praying again since then, you know. I examined that girl before I drove back to the city that night. She was lucid, and she was completely aware of the separate entity inside her. When she wasn't in his grip, she was totally herself, completely normal. And of course, this awareness of her alternate mental state is counterindicative of psychosis. Crazy people don't know they're crazy. That's right. You'll testify to all of this in detail. Everything you saw. Send me the case files and tell me when to be in court. Thank you, Doctor. We need this. Before he was arrested, Father Moore sent this to me. Asked me to take care of it. It's your burden now. In an extremely rare decision, the Catholic Church officially recognized the demonic possession of the 19-year-old college freshman. 
Told in flashbacks, the exorcism of Emily Rose chronicles the haunting trial of the priest accused of negligence resulting in the death of the young girl who is believed to be possessed and the lawyer who takes on the task of defending him. Yes. I want to bring up a question, Your Honor. Um, yes. If the parents consent, they're her legal guardians. Well, she's 19, so mm-hmm. I guess that doesn't really matter anymore. But if they all consent to an exorcism and she dies, is he really guilty? Like, can he actually be charged? Well, if that's there, really what this movie's about. If there's no intent... I guess it's just negligence. Yeah, which is what the, he's on trial for. But it was the parents and Emily's consent to do everything. The other side of the coin. I guess, I guess it's like. The lean into this is. I guess if somebody can be charged with homicide for somebody consenting, like if a parent, if, if somebody's dying and they do not want to go through like the procedure or whatever and they just want to like. You know, kill themselves, commit suicide. Yeah, they can be assisted suicide, but I guess you can be charged with homicide because you killed a person, even though you have consent from multiple parties. Well, because it technically is murder and it's not legal here. Right. They put their caregiving into the priest. They said, "Well, we can't do this. It's up to you. You decide." Uh, so the negligence would be on the parents for just dropping the ball completely and just putting it in the hands of somebody that they kind of know from their Sunday school. Uh, but also on him, because now he's got all the... It'd be like, okay, I'm not going to abuse my child. Uh, can you do it that way? Uh, and th- that would be negligence on their part. Okay. I guess. I mean, that's how I looked at it. Okay. Uh, but I didn't really think about y- what you just said there. I mean, when I was watching it, it didn't come to me. I'm glad you brought that up, because I don't know. Yeah. Plot hole! <laughs> uh, lawyer Aaron Bruner. Takes on the church and the state when she fights in defense of a priest, Father Richard Moore, who performed an exorcism on a young woman, Emily Rose. Bruner must battle the state lawyer as well as her own loneliness as she realizes that her career so far has not fulfilled her. She takes the case, albeit reluctantly, because she believes it will elevate her to senior partner of her law firm. The priest agrees to let her defend him only if he's allowed to tell Emily's story. There is something very, very smart at the very beginning of this that I didn't notice until this time watching it. And that is, at the very beginning, you see the farmhouse. Yes. You see a man in black walking up to it. This is straight out of what movie? The Exorcist. Except the man in black is not a priest. He is a a doctor. doctor. It's opposite. So now you're seeing a parallel. This is where this movie's going. just makes me want to watch The Exorcist again. But as soon as I watched it, I was like, oh my gosh, because he literally stands there and pauses and Uh looks. And I'm like, that's the... I get it now. I totally get that scene now. Okay. Um, we, I like the beginning because it, sh- it has the music over and then you just hear the screams coming mm-hmm. from the house and you're like, what the, f- what's going on? I, I, I want to see what's in. You go inside the house and you're like, okay, I've seen the exorcist. Sh- bitch going to come down the stairs, spider walking, tongue flicking and rip people's heads off, but you don't get it. No. And there is a reigning in of conventional exorcism movies that this movie does really well. It doesn't go full supernatural. No, it does at not. All. Uh, well, there's there's a bit. I mean, with the possession and the faces or the uh, the hallucinations. Okay. And then the, the college bedroom. But the thing is, since nobody's there or witnessing it, you don't know. It could just be <laughs> the feeling of pressure. I thought the demon was like trying to rape her. 
at first. I was like, oh, this is that. It's like, yeah, as soon as as soon as that first little bit in the dorm room happened, I was like, oh, here we go. Bring on the exorcism movie. <laughs> Let's go. She gets sexually assaulted. assaulted by the demon. That's how they get in. And then I was like, oh, here we go. Her dad raped her, mm-hmm. and that's why she's doing this. Um, but, yeah, that's the thing. And that, you know, I guess they do some smart. Like, I'll, I'll take back what I said to where I don't think they did overall a smart. No, but you can say there was a smart but moment. But there, there was a couple smart moments. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I agree with what you said, that this as a... This movie tried to be a smart movie, and I do think it failed at some aspects. I but it also, there were, there were tiny parts that it was very smart in. Honestly, I don't know why, but I think if this movie was made, like, today, mm-hmm. and they did that same kind of thing, it would be a very different tone. Yep. And I think it'd be a... I think this would go from my grade to an A today, if they did it right. Well, if they did it... By t- what you, we now conventionally see as horror standards today, yes, you wouldn't get half the courtroom stuff. No, but no, I'm talking about if they did the same exact thing, like with that same exact narrative. Yeah, if they did it today, what ten years later? Uh, yeah, I mean the movie was 2005. Twelve so years later, thirteen. Yeah, I think they could do a much better job. Because what else? What else came out with this? I don't know. But as I read the next part, why don't you look it up and let me know? Okay. Yeah. Check out the Saturn Awards, because that'll tell you. Uh, Lauren, uh, yeah. The trial begins with the calling of several medical experts by the prosecutor, Ethan Thomas, God's favorite dick. One expert (laughs) testifies that Emily was suffering from both epilepsy and psychosis. The defense contests that she may have actually been possessed, though Bruner is careful never to say that in so many words initially. Indeed, Bruner explains that Emily was suffering from something that neither medicine nor psychology could explain, and that Father Moore, as well as her family, realized this and tried to help in another way. Several flashbacks show how this began. Alone in her dorm room one night, at 3 o'clock a.m., she smells a strange burning smell from the hallway. When she checks on it, she sees the door open and shut by itself three t- several times. When she goes back to her room, she sees a jar of pencils and pens move by itself. Additionally, her covers roll themselves down, and a great weight seems to press down on her, a force which also proceeds to choke her and seemingly to possess her momentarily. Through these episodes, she wonders, wonders if they are really happening or if it is just a hallucination she is experiencing. She suffers more, quote, visions, is hospitalized, and diagnosed with epilepsy. She is given anti-seizure medications, which she claims do not work. Her visions continue as to her severe bodily contortions. You what ever, is, you what, ever seen epilepsy, um, first person? Oh, yeah. We had, we had a kid at our school we used to work at I who heard, we got. Yeah. Okay, I heard about that. And then um, my dad mentioned one girl mm-hmm. Probably where, like her mom was visiting or something, and she... Had a seizure at lunch. Yeah, it was really bad. Apparently, um, I've witnessed it a couple times with a friend of mine, and it's bizarre because you know you you assume epilepsy it's like full intense. Yeah. Uh, the person that I know, it's very mild. Yeah, she just sits. She doesn't move, or she'll feel sick and she'll just stand there. See, and the I've seen it where she it's like. But it's not like contracting. She just blacks out. Yeah, I and that's what I remember from our school that we worked at. 
Um, but I also remember being in church one time, and there was a family in front of us, and the kid, like, just, it was like, everything was fine, and all of a sudden, stiffened up, hit the pew, and the parents are like, oh, here it comes. I'm like, what the hell was that? <laughs> the parents are like, oh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> all right, honey, come on. We've done this before. Uh, I think it has different degrees of how harshly it happens and how rigid it gets. Or what part of the body it affects. Yes. Because apparently I asked her, it's like, have you ever, like, really, like, twisted up or, like, really, con- I don't know, what's the word? Contracted? Contorted. Contorted? Yeah. Um, she's like, no. There was a movie I saw. It was a movie or a TV show where, oh, it was The League. When he's dating the girl who has epileptic seizures, and he's saying it's the best sex he's ever had. God. (laughs) I remember that line. It was The League. I remember that line. I don't remember who you're talking about. They took it off all the streaming sites. (laughs) Bring it back. It's my favorite show. It was The League, and it was... uh, It was Taco. Was no. it? Ta- no, it wasn't Taco. No. It was the disheveled guy. Yeah, Mark um, Duplass. He's creep. It was creep, <laughs> and literally a creep. <laughs> oh God, uh, it's awful. Not that we should be laughing about this. It's not very funny at all. But in the context league. of a sitcom, it's it is quite. League. It's great. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, Aaron Bruner begins to experience strange occurrences in her apartment at three o'clock a.m., including strange smells and sounds, which. Does not make this movie very smart. Because then, what? She has epilepsy too, or not? No. If she's experiencing the same like symptoms that Emily did, just by random chance? Because the first thing she does is she goes and walks and looks at the fire alarm. Yeah. So she smells something burning. Same exact shot. Door opens. Or was it her imagination running wild? Because this, this all was after okay. she hears about these details. But this is also at before. This is also before she tells the priest, and the priest says, "You're under attack." Well, so there's nothing to fuel the fire, right? So it's I at the beginning when she says when he goes, "Are you a Christian?" and she goes, "Well, I I'm an agnostic, I think." And you go, "Well, then then you're an agnostic, yes, you think." Um, she, they, they're portraying her as someone who's on the fence. She doesn't know what to believe, and she can be pushed either way. There's always that character. Yeah. I was going to say the right. I still love that movie. Um, Father Moore warns her that she may be targeted by demons for possibly exposing them, and I'm sure she acted like everybody else, which was like, <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, later in the film, Father Moore explains that 3 o'clock a.m. is the witching hour, which evil spirits use to mock the Holy Trinity. Significantly, it is the opposite of 3 o'clock p.m., traditionally taken to be the hour at which Jesus died. Seeing that the prosecution is putting up seemingly solid medical case, Bruner decides to try to show that Emily may have actually been possessed. I never got that. What? Demons follow our notion of time. Yeah, yeah. Depending on what time zone you're at. They have watches, I guess. Okay. And how they know when Jesus died? I, I can just see, like in like in hell, there's an elevator going up, and they're like, there's a guy at the elevator going, uh, three o'clock Central Time, load up. 
Three o'clock like, oh. Pacific time. Load up. It all. They all like get in with their suitcases, and they're like, "Hey, Bob, how you doing? Oh, yeah, good. <laughs> I got this girl in Argentina. Oh, you got Argentina? Damn, dude. I got Antarctica. Wait up! I got I'm screwed. coming. I'm coming. I'm Hold coming. on. Hold the elevator. I'm here now. I'm here. God, close Too it, late. Close it. Close it. Close it. Close you gotta, you gotta oh, wait for You gotta wait for mountain time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, sir, but this is a. Uh, in Asia time, not <laughs> American. Sorry. Is there a Bob there? <laughs> <laughs> Bob, Bob, Bob present. Oh, he's running late today. <laughs> Trouble with kids. You know how it is. <laughs> she calls in an anthropologist, Dr. Sadira Adani, to testify about various cultures' beliefs about spiritual possession. That smoky voice. Uh, a medical doctor present during the exorcism comes forward to reveal an audio tape made during the rite. The priest is then called to stand to testify. The tape is played, and the movie then flashes back to white chicks. Okay. <laughs> flashes back to the exorcism. It is performed on Halloween night because Father Moore believes it might be easier to draw out the demons on that night, unless you're in Australia, and then you're a day behind. The priest, Emily's boyfriend, <laughs> and her father are in the room. Emily is tied to the bed. The priest uses holy water, Marvin Gaye, and various words. No, I'm just kidding. And <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Having okay, too much we're talking about the, the priest scene here, not yeah. the, the daddy scene here. The priest no. uses holy water and various words from the Rituel Romanum. She speaks in tongues, including Latin, German, Ancient Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Several cats run into the room because she loves cats, jumping on the priest and knocking him down. Emily breaks her ties and jumps out the window, running into the barn. And what do you do? You follow that. They follow her inside the barn. They are subjected to more supernatural phenomena, such as unnatural gusts of wind and demonic screams and voices. I would not say that that is supernatural phenomena. Wind is wind. Wind is wind. Yeah. The demon inside Emily refuses to name itself after repeated demands from the presiding father, but finally reveals contemptuously that they are not one but six demons. They go on to identify themselves in a dramatic fashion, naming themselves one after another in dual voices from Emily. They identify themselves as the demons that possess Cain, Nero, and Judas Iscariot, and one of the Legion. Beyond that, two demons name themselves directly as Belial and Lucifer, the devil in the flesh. Oh, shit! <laughs> I just uh I just put um the uh Ritual Romanum in my Amazon cart. You're gonna look up how to do an exorcism? No, it's look, but I don't believe in this stuff, but it really fascinates me. I figure if you can get like a, a, a certificate that says you can marry people, surely you can get one that says you can exercise people. <laughs> I do, I just go to the gym. Hey, oh. look at him go. Uh yeah, no, I just wake up, daddy show him. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, I just put that in my uh, Amazon card. I'm very excited for that. Well, I'm glad. I feel uh, I'll, I, I'll bring it one day. By all means, you know, and uh, maybe you can exorcise my house of demons. This house is, is clean. clean. <laughs> and there we go. Uh, Bruner then wants to call the doctor. At, I'm sorry. The film returns to the courtroom. The priest says that after this, Emily refused another exorcism, but also refused to take her antipsychotic medication, having accepted her fate. She died a few weeks later. The prosecutor contends that her speaking in tongues can be explained by her having gone through Catholic catechism, in which she could have learned the ancient languages, and that she had studied German in high school. The priest admits that it might be possible that she could have learned these languages in school. 
Bruner then wants to call the doctor as a witness, but he does not show. She walks outside and sees him on the street. He says he can no longer testify, but he does believe in demons. Before he can explain, he is hit by a car and killed. Like the omen. Later that night, Bruner's boss tells her she has ruined the whole trial and that if she recalls the priest to the stand, she will be fired. 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 Nevertheless, Bruner calls the priest back to the stand the next day. Ha ha! He reads a letter that Emily wrote him before she died. In the letter, Emily describes another vision she had the morning after the exorcism. She walks out of the house and sees the Virgin Mary, who tells her that although the demons will not leave her, she can leave her body and end her suffering. However, the apparition goes on to say if she returns to her body, she will help to prove to the world that God and the devil are real. She chooses to return. She concludes the letter by saying, quote, People say that God is dead, but how can they think that if I show them the devil? She then receives stigmata, supposedly, which the priest believes is a sign of God's love for her. But the prosecution counters that she could have received the stigmata wounds from a barbed wire fence on her property. Ha, ha, ha. Take that, religion. <laughs> Father Moore. Or you it, could just sweep the fence for blood traces. Well, the movie starts off with the shot of the barbed wire. God damn it. And the blood dripping from the blood wi- uh, the barbed wire. <laughs> well, then what's the point of even inducing the stigmata part? Just saying. Direction problem. <laughs> Big time. You don't you don't play you that don't, hand early. You don't yeah. You don't show your cards. <laughs> yeah. In the first scene. Yeah. Beep. So there you go. <laughs> hey, that's a new record. It really is, I think. I think it's the latest you've ever gone. <laughs> uh, Father Moore is ultimately found guilty. However, on a recommendation from the journey, jury, the judge agrees to a sentence of time served. Okay. In modern American legal practice, juries are only allowed to answer questions specifically directed to them, though sometimes they are asked separately to sentence defendants. The jury's recommendation in this fictional case does not follow American practice, <laughs> and the prosecution isn't happy about this. Direction. <laughs> Bruner is offered a partnership at her firm for saving Father Moore from extended jail time, but she refuses and, in fact, quits. She goes with Father Moore to Emily's grave, where he has put a quote, which she recited to him the day before she died, from the second chapter, 12th verse of Philippians on her grave, saying, quote, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And credits roll. I hate goodbyes. (laughs) Did the awards get it right? All right. No, thank you. I don't want any coffee. Thank you very much. Uh, nothing at the Academy Awards didn't get nominated for a single thing, and the Golden Globes also said, ha ha, your movie is shite. Uh, but at the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, Horror Films, the Saturn Awards, it had one win and two nominations. Uh, it was nominated for Best Actress. Na- Naomi Watts won for King Kong. Uh, Jodie Foster was up for Flight Plan. Laura Linney for The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Uh, Natalie Portman for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge <laughs> of the Sith. And Rachel McAdams for Red Eye. Of those five, would you change it at all? Or is Naomi Watts your winner for Best Actress that year? This is the Saturn Awards? Yep. Let me Best Actress. Ooh. No. Honestly. Yeah. No. As much as I... 
I like King Kong. She did a great job. Yeah, I think she did better than Laura Linney did. Yeah. If Why isn't Jennifer Carpenter up there? Because she was not the main character in this movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She's a supporting actress. Oh, there was one more nominee by that. Tilda Swinton for Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, I see that right now. <laughs> now, it was also nominated for Best Horror Film, and it won. Yeah. It's between Constantine, Land of the Dead, the Saw S- Two, the Skeleton, the Skeleton Key. Key, a.k.a. the the original Get Out, Yeah, Wolf Creek. I say it wins. It, it's better than all of those, I think. I love Saw 2, so that's tough because I think Saw 2 is the strongest of the series. I agree with that, yes. But that being said, it's a weird they're, they're too different. They're just too different. Exorcism of Emily Rose, it's a cycle, it's, you know, it's exorcism scary. Saw 2 is just torture porn. Yes, and uh, to be honest with you, this is a weak year for horror films. Yeah. There's I mean this is not Constantine, like, I wouldn't say that's a horror. That's a that's a that's a comic book movie. It's a comic book movie. Yeah. Which I guess it's comic horror, I guess. Would you put Hellboy There's in sca- there? No. Even though it had horrific images? No. Okay. Uh Constantine was scarier than Hellboy ever was. I agree. Which who uh, knows to say this new Hellboy might be really, 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 really good. Who knows? I I don't want to speculate. I'm super excited. <laughs> uh, and then finally, Best Supporting Actress. Summer Glaw won for Serenity. It was, she was up against Gina Rollins for The Skeleton Key, Jennifer Carpenter for The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Jessica Alba for Sin City, Katie Holmes for Batman Begins, and oh, Michelle Monaghan for to, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Give it to Jessica Alba. She deserves She. Who? She. <laughs> <laughs> she she cannot form worms, she everybody. She didn't do much in that movie, but what she did do was strong performance. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to differ and say Carpenter should have won this. Uh, Glaw has no range whatsoever in that movie. Let's see, Summer Glaw, is that the girl? Yeah, no. She. I love, look, I love Firefly. I love Serenity. Yeah. But Summer is, it's not a whole lot to that character. She's very... Exactly. Straight face. Yeah. What was her name? River or something? Something like that. Yeah. But Jennifer Carpenter acted her ass off. She beat everybody else mm-hmm. here. I mean, Jessica Alba, yeah, I like looking at her. But she was like... She didn't do anything. She was a movie. footnote in Sin City. You yeah, know? she wasn't anything in that movie. Let's be honest. Anybody that watched Sin City a second time only like skipped forward to watch the stripping point. Yeah. Yeah, which, well done. <laughs> uh, okay, now, what do you think after watching this film, Sam? Um. Uh, see, this is a tough one because it's not. Oh, it's so good. No, no, <laughs> no. Stop it. Stop it. Um. This movie dragged a little bit. The pacing was off, but it's weird because I want to say this is just a crime drama with horror elements, but it is an exorcism movie. And there are plenty of horror to make it a horror film. So it is unique in that aspect. Um, This is a weird movie. I gotta agree. I said said it's a little slow at times and it dragged. Yeah. There are times when it dragged. I mean, but it's funny. You get to the exorcism parts and you're like, all of a sudden you swing back up again. You're like, okay, here we go. Finally. Yeah. Uh, And then it cuts back to the courtroom. You're like, okay. And you kind of start to 
fall back down in your seat again, and, and then it flashes back again. You go, okay, here we go. Yeah, and my, <laughs> my issue was that each time it uh, went back to the present, it's just the same arguments over and over. It's like the medicine, the epilepsy. There's nothing changing. There's nothing new. It's just the same fight over and over and over again, and it's like, okay, fine, okay, you know, flashback, yes, 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 okay, uh, back to the courtroom. Yeah. The drug, epilepsy, psychosis. Again, we're talking about this again, okay. Ooh, ooh, flashback, yes, yes, oh, uh, okay, again, mm. psychosis, epilepsy, drug, okay, you're mad, I get that, <laughs> okay. Ooh, flashback, yes. And, which will go right into our next segment, top three, bottom three. Uh, it leads right into that. This is where we pick our top three things we love or scenes we like in this movie, and then we choose three things we dislike about the film or that we find the weakest. Let's start with the top three. Sam, what are your top three? Um, I love a good movie that's science versus religion. I don't think this did the best job, but uh, as far as exorcism movies go and the narrative of is demonic possession real or not, the tone is there. The narrative yeah. is there, and I do like that. And though I feel they kind of one-sided it for Hollywood's um, sake and selling box office tickets, um, it's still there. Yeah. Uh, the movie is a court case, which is unique as far as, like, it's it's not an exorcism movie. It's a, it's a, it's a court case about what happened. It's A Few Good Men meets The Exorcist. Yeah. <laughs> and then number one is Jennifer Carpenter, a.k.a. Deb. She killed it. Yeah. She she ruled. Uh, my number three is the opening shot of the man sitting in front of the house. I had never noticed before, and I was like, I'm gonna, I put that down. I can't believe I didn't notice that before. <laughs> my number two is each time they flash back to Emily Rose, it gets gradually and progressively worse and worse and worse. And it reminds me of a movie we just did, which was The Fly, yeah. where they made it a gradual transformation. Uh, today, you would see, you know, oh, she's possessed, and then all of a sudden, she looks like a rag doll. You know, like in a conjuring or something like that. It, it, this takes its sweet ass time to get there. One My, thing I did like, sorry to interrupt, yeah. was uh, when the priest first arrives and she like challenges him. It's like, oh, you think you can get me out? Yeah. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> and she stiffens up on the floor. And they literally—they don't—they don't pick her up. They don't—they don't pick her up and put her on a bed. They literally prop her up like a piece of wood, and she is—that was impressive. I couldn't do like I was like, how would you pull that up? Because even if somebody's pulling me, I'd bend my body a little bit. She was full on. She rigid. was rigid. <laughs> Which is my number one. Jennifer Carpenter is the reason why I love this movie. She is so great as someone possessed, and it never goes too far. It gives you just enough to make you believe. Most movies go too far and give you way too much. Mm-hmm. See The Conjuring. And I, first of all, let me just be clear. I'm not shitting on The Conjuring. The Conjuring is a very, very good Sounds movie. Sounds like it. It's a very good movie, but there, it, it is modern-day exorcism stuff. Yes. It's for today's audiences, which have the attention span of 15 seconds. For sure. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's one of the things I've, I like about it is... I think it's a great film, but it also feels like I'm in a haunted house. Okay. All right. I even even with some of the effects and the ghosts that yeah. reside in that house, it's the makeup's not that great. If you if you really like focus on it, yeah. it looks like an iPhone going through a house. Yeah, it There's does. some certain shots. I love that movie. Um 
it really felt like it was like vamping on the classics. Okay. Um, but you are right. Where I mean, it's it's the attention span, but it keeps you going. It keeps you attached. Keeps you focused. It does. Yeah. I can't deny that. I mean, you're right. It does. Uh, on to the bottom three. Time to vent. Okay, Sam. I felt like the writing was weak. <laughs> um, this is some cheesy dialogue. I think it's just aged. It just it, it hasn't aged well. Um, you have an asshat representing team science. Um, <laughs> You're gonna skip it all over for years. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- at this point, you know, I feel like th- you go from three to one yeah. of things that bother you the most. And really, it kind of goes into it where if you're going to have a movie, religion versus science, have an even playing field. Don't just have the the asshat, the bad guy. <laughs> you know, you have two sides. You have team science, team religion. Keep them kind of even. Because team science was just getting heated, and he was just stepping over boundaries and crossing the line mm-hmm. of, you know, he's supposed to be collected science facts like i get you're gonna get frustrated but he was really passionate about emily for some reason maybe he just really wanted to win the case she isn't exactly a choir girl no i'm not i wasn't saying that but, yeah they're but both they, little assholes about uh, it. i feel that they tilted that in the direction of him though yeah. and then another one is um some of the flat earlier flashbacks just didn't work for me. It's just because it's aged. Okay. It just doesn't look good. Um, when she starts contorting, then it's like, oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I will throw back up to the top one, top top three. Uh, that scene in the fog when she, uh, quote, unquote, sees Mother Mary. Mm-hmm. I love that shot. I love the dead tree. I love her, like... Hands up, almost like T Rex style, yeah, and like stumbling towards this dead tree in just fog. I, I thought it's a cool was, shot. It's a great shot. Yeah, in, in fact, I think it's a cover actually. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, my number three, <laughs> the prosecution's opening statements are so cliche. Yeah, it's definitely one of the weakest parts. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was kind of happy when they went to Laura Linney and they were like, "Okay, are you ready for your shields? I'm going to postpone mine." I was like, "Thank God," because I have to listen to this again. I'm going to be pissed. Uh, my number two is it drives me absolutely crazy when I see people playing instruments in movies, but the music doesn't match what the hell they're doing. The piano scene after Father Moore leaves, her hands are moving back and forth. The notes are not. <laughs> uh, and my number one is this is really more courtroom drama than I remember it. Yeah. It's more courtroom than I remember. I remember for some reason, maybe it's because the other parts were so powerful for me, they stuck out longer. Uh, but... <clears throat> on the next part, who is the audience for this movie? Sam. All right. I think if you want to watch an exorcism movie, but you're too much of a pussy to watch The Exorcism, or The Exorcist, <laughs> the Exorcist. <laughs> this is the movie for you. It is, if you've never seen an Exorcist movie, but you're like jonesing for one, just mm-hmm. to kind of like see what it's like, I think this is a good one. It it doesn't go over the top. No. Um, there are points where it is scary enough, but this isn't really an exorcist movie it's a courtroom case about an exorcism with flashbacks of seeing the exorcist like you're not going to see the 
Deb twist her head all the way around. You're not going to see her screaming, F me. F right, me. right. Like, yeah, I think this is a good dipping the toe in the water pool of exorcism movies. Okay. This could be a Joel intro. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that would be like, hey, Joel, you want to watch uh, Exorcism Emily Rose? It's really easy. And then I would just bring Exorcism, or sorry, The Exorcist, put in the DVD player, and just drop kick him into the pool. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Or, like, put the conjuring in, like, just something to scar him. <sighs> okay, I'll do it. Uh, for me, it's people who like possession films and are tired of them all looking the same. Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think yeah. that's a good one. Uh Okay, movie report card. A is a superior, B is above average, C is average, D is below average, and F is total failure. In the horror feature film genre, give us a grade and some comments that defend your grade. Sam, what are you giving this bad boy? Okay, so this movie is in an interesting place because it is, like you had noticed, is my first experience. It is more of a courtroom drama movie than it is an exorcism movie. But when it comes down to the exorcist part, exorcism points in the movie, it really it does a great job of not being, you know, she's sitting in a chair and the chair's levitating and spinning and flipping all around and being really over the top. Yeah. So it's an it's an it's an uh, uh, an interesting position. That being said, it is not my favorite movie. Um, I mean, the Exorcist is our t- number one, and it's probably going to stay there. It it would take a lot to knock it, would it take, down. <laughs> it, would <laughs> it would take, take a lot. A lot to knock that bad boy down. <laughs> it would take an event film involving Ash and the girl from Evil Dead 2013 together and on Evil the screen. Dead. <laughs> yes, Evil Dead 5. <laughs> Please, who, Sam Raimi, if you're listening to this. Do this. <laughs> Please do what you had planned. Follow through. I will support anyway. And just bring in Tucker and Dale at the end. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to give this movie a B minus. I'm going to say, I'm going to say B minus only because it was a C, but it is unique. It is unique. It is not like your average exorcist movie. Yeah. And that's why I think it deserves a B minus. I gotcha. There's certain parts that are very smart, and while it doesn't do the smartest and best job of bringing that narrative of religion versus science or faith versus fact, they do a lot of smart things, like the language, she learned it, she could have previously brought it back, or the hallucinations and psychosis, or epilepsy. Yeah. These are smart points. So I think B minus. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I I think we've forgotten what a good horror movie is like today. With movies like Conjuring, Insidious, and even Evil Dead 2013, which are all good, audiences expect a horror movie to be around five to ten jump scares and a slew of visuals that they've never seen before, thus making them more shocking than horrifying. This movie is a throwback to what horror movies used to be like. This is the Rosemary's Baby of exorcism films. It's slow. It's not chock full of scary moments. 
and many will question whether this is actually a horror film or a courtroom drama. I cannot blame that analysis. There were times when I was watching this with my critical hat on that I questioned the validity of this movie in the horror pantheon. But let's see what we have here. We have a possession film that isn't telling one side of the story. It is literally allowing the audience to believe the scientific nature of the situation of the spiritual nature and opening perspectives to both. In essence, it's legitimizing a horrifying situation. Whether that's spiritual or not isn't the point. The point is that audiences watch this, see a horrifying scene, hear two people argue its validity, and then allow the viewer to make the choice based on their basal beliefs. Acting-wise, the cast really centers on a character who isn't the main character, Jennifer Carpenter. She is frigging frightening. And I wanted more of her. She completely sells the possession angle and does it with very little special effects. It's all contortion and facial movement. The rest of the... No, in fact, I will say this. The only person I can think of who has more of a rubbery face is Jim Carrey. Yeah. The rest of this cast is literally two sides of the coin of acting. You get the heads, the best, in Tom Wilkinson, Shore Agdashlu, and Laura Linney. And you get the tails, the worst, in Colm Fior, Campbell Scott, and the judge, who looks like she wanted to do anything other than act in this film. <laughs> <laughs> script wise this is a very unique telling of an exorcism I've got to give it props for that unfortunately I think it gets bogged down at times with trying to balance everything to make it believable there is also a lot of cliches that are thrown around the courtroom which make you roll your eyes that being said I don't know what you could cut out of this film because you're right they do keep going back saying well it's the psychotic thing it's the epilepsy but they also have to Rip apart those ideas. Yeah, exactly. You have a to, little you have by to little. play a different hand. You don't show the blood dripping from barbed wire when you're trying to say it's stigmata. Yeah, which I'm going to... You're trying to keep some mystery. I'm going to change what I said here, which is I said I'm, direction and production are very good. They're not very, very good. They're very good. They're not great. The only issue I really had was that damn piano scene and the damn opening statements from the prosecution. She wouldn't. She's not here to defend herself. Well, if she's not, if she was there, you wouldn't have a friggin' job right now, would you? <laughs> Look, nobody's claiming that this is a classic horror film. However, in the subgenre of exorcism movies within the horror genre, there are none that do it with the believability factor of this film, except The Exorcist. I was gonna say, yeah, because they were trying to do it with the right, and didn't yeah. do a good job of that. So, based on everything I've listed here, I have to give this a B. I was at a B plus, but I'm knocking it down to a B. Because there were moments where this movie could have gone full-on supernatural. And in 2018, it would. But it reined it in to tell a story that could be believed. It was as close to a documentary as a based-on-true-events story can probably get. Sam, are you afraid of this film? <laughs> Dude, I'm f***ing terrified of waking up and seeing Jennifer Carpenter looking at me in a contorted state from a bed. That that was the scariest thing in that entire film, and I still have that m image in my head, yeah. and it freaks me out. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give it some time, because that's the only <laughs> scary part of that whole film. Oh, what about when she's in, in front of the, uh, the church, and she bends over, and she throws her head and goes, Don't touch me! me! <laughs> I th yeah, uh... Just watch the spider walk. One, two, three, four, five, six, 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 one,
Yeah, I'm a sometimes also. This isn't horror all the way through. It's it's a sometimes, I think. And now fan rating. Now get critics' hats off. Do you love this movie, like this movie, or none of the above? I'm kind of in between um, like and none of the above. I'm going to give it a like-ish. Okay. I'm not sure I would ever watch this again. Would Um, you recommend it to somebody who likes possession films? If they haven't seen it, absolutely. Okay. Because it is a different take on an extras movie. It's not going to be your average, um, which I appreciate that. And I'm kind of on the other side of the coin. I love this movie, but I would not recommend this film to people unless they understood horror movies the way that you understand them. Uh, This is not one that I'd be like, Joel, let me show you this, because you kind of need to see a lot of exorcism films to appreciate what this is trying to do. Yeah, you kind of nailed it on the head with that one. Because if if Joel had never seen an exorcist movie, and this was his baseline, yeah, everything would be amazing. Make, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm a love, but I wouldn't recommend it to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sam, do you want to close us out? Well, that's all we've got time for today, Movie Planeteers. Next show, we'll look at 1982's The Thing for the horror movie pantheon. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean and give us a four or five-star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow our Instagram. The Movie Planet Podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, or approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Thanks for listening and happy movie watching. Thank you.